We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Art Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to talk defense. One of the biggest storylines to me this year has been the changes that the Lakers have been going through on the defensive end of the floor. Now, we all know that Frank Vogel is a defensive coach, but there's been a mismatch between his coaching philosophies and the personnel on this team, at least in my my estimation. And Vogel has always thrived on coaching teams that were big across the board. Those Indiana teams would put out lineups where not only did you have that big rim protector in Roy Hibbert, but your perimeter defenders all had seven-foot wingspans. Paul George, Lance Stevenson, George Hill, just arms everywhere and physicality. And the last two seasons with the Lakers, we've had teams that were really big across the board, and we were the best defense in the league during that span. So his defensive system is ideal for those types of players, big physical players with high defensive IQs and motors. And most of this roster, this year's Lakers team, is comprised of smaller, faster players that don't read situations as quickly and have inconsistent motors. And in many ways, that's just a straight up roster issue. Vogel could do everything correctly from his perspective, and we could still never reach the caliber of defense that we played the last two seasons. But I think the idea of this team was to be competent enough on that end while really being an an elite offense, which we haven't been and we'll go down that rabbit hole on one of these pods. So much of this season to me has been this storyline playing out between us trying to play basketball as though we were still a big team. First by starting DeAndre Jordan and just starting two bigs the couple times we started Dwight as well. But even after we put AD at the five and then had LeBron at the five, we were still running a lot of Frank's scheme, which funnels player offensive players into the paint. And so we were playing schematically as though we were a bigger team with more physical players when we were not. And so that brings me to the road trip. There's this game in Orlando to start the road trip where – We started out, and remember, we were down by nine at halftime, and we'd given up 62 or 64 points to the Orlando Magic, who were the worst offense in the league, had the worst record in the league at the time. We had started Dwight to begin that game. 
Stanley Johnson starts the third quarter. We start switching everything and we go on like an 18 to two run to start the third right away. Something similar happened in this Knicks game that we just played on Saturday. Similar thing in the third quarter. We switch everything, go on a run to bring it back closer. But in that Orlando game, I think it was you, Mike, uh, afterward, you brought up, brought that up. And Vogel said, uh, Vogel made a comment about how it was Wendell Carter Jr. and whether or not he was playing. His comments alluded to the fact that that was a big factor in the decision of whether or not he was going to switch. And so, D, this t- idea of when to switch has been something that we've been kind of, you know, stewing over for a little bit now. And I really want to get into this discussion today. My thought process is that Wendell Carter Jr. should never be the player that takes you in or out of what you're doing. We're playing one of those guys tonight, right? Like Giannis might be a guy where you go like, oh, crap, we normally do this, but it's not going to work because it's Giannis or Jokic, right? Guys like that. But Wendell Carter Jr. should never be the decision point for whether or not you do something. But what I think it speaks to is Vogel's one of the best, if not the very best coach, defensive coach in the NBA at coaching big physical teams. He just won a championship coaching defense in that manner. Of course, he believes in his system. And of course, like he has a lot of a lot of faith in it. And so his instincts are always going to be to go back to that. When I think the reality of this roster is much more geared toward the switching and the all of the stuff that we've been talking about about there. So talk to me a bit about your thoughts on how you see this whole dynamic, because I think there's been a tension and a very understandable tension, right? But uh, that has been one of the really real keys to the season and figuring out, figuring that out is going to really determine where we go from here. Yeah, I think that all of that's fair. So we have this conversation a lot centered around Vogel. And I mean, I'm sympathetic towards Vogel, because I think that he's, he's put in a position where I think he under he sees the mistakes. He sees the mistakes when they play in drop coverages. And I think he sees the mistakes when they've switched and given up problems as well. Right. I think one of the issues for me. Or I don't even want to say issues because I think the proper way to look at this is really. How much do you value or what is the weight placed on mistakes and what sort of mistakes are we going to tolerate? And so I'm putting my feet in Frank Vogel's shoes because I know my system so well and because I know that it works and I know that it works at the highest level. I know that if the player just does the right thing, we're probably going to get to a position where it's where I can live with the results. Yeah, I know this works. If this guy does this and that guy does that, then this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And then if we fail, we fail. Yep. Right. Because I know that the guys did everything right. And I think what ends up happening with him sometimes is he sees guys making mistakes. And when you're a coach and you coach a guy or a team and you teach them a certain thing, and then they make mistakes, your instinct is to blame the player because I've actually taught you. Yeah, just do it right. Yes, because I've actually, work. Yeah. I've actually taught you the right thing. Well, mm-hmm. well, even, look, working versus not working, this is a process versus results argument as well, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so a lot of times coaches are just like, if the, I'll be fine if the results do not come out in our favor. 
if everyone is doing the right process, if, if the process is being handled correctly. One of the things when it comes to switching, I feel like the if I'm putting myself again, if I'm putting myself in in Frank Vogel's shoes, my perspective is probably less lenient with this. Right. Because this is this is easier for you. There are less mistakes to make. Mm -hmm. Right. All you have to do is switch. And if you switch lazily or if you or if you switch late. Or if you switch in a manner where you surrender advantage, that's the exact advantage that we're trying to not give up because we're actually switching. If you do that, then no, like, right. It's, it's like, Mike, you're, you're a parent. I'm sure that your boys are wonderful boys, just like my girls are wonderful girls. There are times where my girls are like, basically like, asking for things that they know is sort of like, no, that's a little bit, you're, you're, you're asking for a little bit too much here. Right. But they're pressing and well, and they're pressing. So at some point you sort of surrender to them in a way where, okay, well, we're going to broker a deal. I'm going to give you this thing that you say that you want, but I'm, but, but it's now your responsibility to do the thing that you're supposed to do now that you've gotten this thing. I'm going to be less lenient with my kids if I give them the thing that they say that they want and they agree to all of the conditions that we've that we've talked talked about. And then they go and do the thing that they're not supposed to do anyway. It's just like, no, what are you doing? Like, you got the thing that you wanted and now you're messing that up. Like, I'm taking it back. You don't get that. Back to drop coverages for you. <laughs> that's kind of how I see it sometimes, yeah, Pete. I see mm -hmm. honestly. Like, and and so I'm not saying that's the right approach. I'm just saying that I'm I'm trying to understand where the line is because I agree from my perspective, the line could be moved more in the direction of let's switch more. Let's live with the mistakes. Let's let's try to compensate for those. Let's problem solve for those. I think that's a very valid argument. I think where it gets trickier is is actually putting that in into place and how much patience you have for it when you're the decision maker. Well, parenting and coaching, of course, have a lot of similarities. And one of the similarities is that you're trying to control certain things to ensure the best possible outcome. If you're a coach, that's winning and building a culture and sort of building habits that prove towards winning. If you're a parent, that's, you know, trying to teach the ways that you think, which are a lot of times based on how you were raised and what your parents did to you, plus some additional learning that hopefully you've done, whether that's through mm -hmm. education or through your partner or through whatever that is. So it's bringing in things that you learn along the way. And I've so I was let's to avoid getting too deep into the personal bio. Um, I was very pleased with my childhood. And therefore, I have some very kind of rigid ways that I think kids should be raised. And what I'm learning through my boys is that I need to chill out on some things. I need to let them have control on some things. Today, the reason I was late for the pod today is because one of my boys was struggling to decide whether to wear shorts or pants. Because in California, <laughs> and this again, this is going to sound like the stupidest problem ever. It certainly is for me, somebody from Minnesota, but where it's cold in the morning, or am I cold? I mean, like 54 at <laughs> at 7 a.m. and then 60 at 8 a.m. But then at 9 a.m., it's like 65. And so he didn't want to wear 
he didn't want to wear shorts in the car because it's cold. And when he gets to the classroom, but when he actually gets to school, then it's hot. And so it was, a, I'm telling you guys, this took 30 minutes, this discussion. And it's not the first time that we've had it. And you guys can imagine my level of patience throughout this discussion up to the point where we're going to be late for school. So, you know, to get it back to the defense and switching versus non-switching. And I'm the Lakers have personnel this year that aren't always great in either scheme in a drop coverage or in a switching cover, a switching scheme. And it's one of the reasons why I'm always so all up on like big wings that can defend where you can play and you can win, whether you start big and you, and you drop like they did half the time when they won the title or when they switch with their group, that's got AD and Marquise Morrison, et cetera. So I, and I'm not disagreeing, Pete, you already broke it down with the numbers. I think overall favor what they've done when they've switched versus what they've done when they dropped. But I'm I'm just kind of adding on to Darius's point about the once Frank gets these guys in the film room and they're not executing the certain things that need to be executed, he's going back to uh, what he's trying to teach as the outline of the philosophy. And I I you know I don't know what we want him to do about that other than just to say abandon the drop. Period. We're switching all of the time. You know. So I that's that's where I'm. So take me there. Take me to what you're wanting to happen maybe after the break. Yeah, let's let's take it to a break first. And then I I actually don't want to get to the end of the story quite yet. I, I want to keep going down the line of uh, I thought you went some interesting places there, Mike. We'll See be my right- impatience. I want to get to the end already. <laughs> <laughs> We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I think that there's a little bit of a frustration on everyone's side, right? I think from yeah. the viewer side... Yep. They're like, man, like, what are we doing? I'm proud of the Lakers fan base. They are a very informed fan base. Mm-hmm. I think on some levels, we play our part in trying to help inform Lakers fans as well, right? About talking about the game and and everything else. And so fans, I think, just like us are sort of just like, well, what are we doing? Yeah, what the hell is this team? You don't have to know very much about basketball at all, at all to be like, what the hell is this? Well, you know. I have conversations with a bunch of people about like, hey, what's up with the team? They like friends from back home. They know know I have a podcast. Mm -hmm. They know I talk about the team every day. They know I write about the team. They respect my opinion for whatever it's worth. And they're like, what's wrong with the team? They stink. 
And I get into the weeds with them sometimes, but they're not looking at the game the way that I'm looking at the game, right? That's right. why they're asking me right. what, what I think. And so they know something's adrift, right? And we're trying to dig into the weeds about why. And so I think that we are at the crux of things a little bit when we talk about what they're doing defensively. Mike, you said an interesting thing about getting to the point where they switch all of the time. I actually don't think that's the solution for this team. Neither I actually do I. don't think it's appropriate for them to switch all of the time. I think Anthony Davis is too good at protecting the basket. I want him around the rim as often as, as I can. I do not want him drawn out to the perimeter, possession after possession after possession, even if it's just going to lead to a swing pass where now he is now isolated, maybe on the top side of like, like out at the arc, defending a guard while some second side action happens and AD is not in the middle of the fray again to act as a disruptor. And, and, and so I think that there are, there are, there's a trigger effect that happens with, with switching as well that I'm not too fond of. We saw that in the Spurs game, for example, Pete, like where they were just, they knew the Lakers were going to switch. They drew AD out. They shot over the top of him, and then they crashed the boards with Jakob Pertl and and you need to have young. both LeBron and AD. That's the thing. Like we can, I don't want to get too Which deep into the details. Which is the problem the with the season? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, right. that's the whole problem yeah. with the whole season, right? Yeah. Because you have the, LeBron and AD. The reason it works if you have LeBron and AD is like, well, you got AD on the perimeter, but you still got LeBron back there. You got LeBron on the perimeter. You still got AD back there. It's a simple personnel thing, right? Where like, and that's part of the reason why zone is to me like diet switching in terms of like the thing that I would want to do, meaning that there are problems with switching and we won't have time to get to all of the specifics in this pod, but we're going to talk about this a lot because it's really like, it's really about where do you get burned and yeah. selecting the terms of your disadvantage. That's one thing that I'm, I have a real passion for from a coaching perspective is choosing the term like every team has weaknesses you talk about this all the time mike is that if you look at any roster around the league they're having like oh our you know our backup big can't move his feet uh all of the podcasts that are really in the weeds are having some version of a conversation where we need this guy at the trade deadline or something like that but it's in in terms of like the the basic personnel issues my view is that we have some guys that are really weak at things let's take malik monk for example it's obvious Malik Monk needs to play a lot for this team, but he's small and he has awareness issues. My view is that if you can dictate dictate the terms of the Lakers' disadvantage defensively, meaning I know how you're going to attack me and from where, you can then deploy one of your one of your dragons to address that problem. And it's much harder to do that if because it's much harder to do that in Frank's scheme because. When something breaks down, it's because Russell Westbrook didn't make a low man read. And it's like, we don't know where they're going to beat us from. Does that make sense? And so anyway, that, a different way to say this is that there are more links in the chain that can yes. be broken, right? right? And and like determining where the critical failure happens is difficult. And where you try to solve that differs based off of where the failure happens. So Mike, earlier you were talking about um, about parenting and growing up with kind of a rigid view of parenting and learning how to adapt from that. I think that there's kind of a 
Mike Trudell parenting and Frank Vogel coaching analog in that, where Frank is going through this process too of like, okay, if we are going to turn the dial more toward this switching, and he's already said I've that he's switched more this season than he ever has in his career, is what are his expectations? And so like, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that, even just from a parenting lens of as you are learning to adapt and not be so rigid in certain areas. How do you still maintain the standards of what's important to you? Because Frank is still the adult in the room defensively, and we need that on this team. Well, first of all, I think rigid is probably the wrong word that, because what I what I meant was I was I was pleased. Like I, it was pretty easy for me as a kid. I was very <laughs> lucky in that sense, and so there were I just like oh that's that's a really good way to do it. But that might have worked for me better than it did for one of my siblings. For example, it just the the mix, however, that it works between me and my parents. And so that's there's a there's a mix now that I have to find with my kids. And it, overall, it's working really well uh, and I'm happy with it. But there are, there are certain instances where the way that I think right is impacted uh, impacts the way that they feel that I have to adjust some. And in terms of what are the Lakers doing about it? This is where I think you and I have have hit a. I don't know if it's a, a point of disagreement on the season, but I see them constantly trying to change and to evolve and to figure this stuff out, whether it's in between games or within games and to try to find some balance. And it's where I keep coming back to more of the, the guys that are on the floor and the guys that are on the roster less so than what the, than how much they're switching versus how much they're dropping in the course of a game. And so that's where it's a harder question for me to answer because I don't know if we agree on the on the larger picture of what the problem has been this season. But, you know, I it's like we we're talking about switching like it's some new concept. And again, they deployed that very effectively on their run to the title, you know, so it's not like they, this is not some new thing that that we haven't seen Vogel do before. And so that's where where, again, I'm not to kind of kick it back to you, but that's where. That's what I've been trying to figure out as as we have this ongoing discussion about the scheme and how often they're doing what. So for me, it you're absolutely right. And it's not a binary of the notion that like we are either running Frank's scheme or we are switching. And th- those are two different things is not the case. It's a it's a large spectrum. And we always talk about turning a dial. And we use that terminology for a reason, because it's something that say you're listening to. Gosh, I don't even this may be and. What's a good dial thing that people still use? I was thinking about an old stereo. <laughs> I know you're thinking about a radio, <laughs> but you're but you're old. You're old, Pete. It, so there's like a 20 year old right now who's who's like knobs, knobs, like, yeah. sta- like static. What you- I caught myself right in the middle. Of Let's take another break. <laughs> Washing machine. All right, so the the dial. I assume most of our audience is old enough to to know what a turning up the volume on a stereo would be like, right? It's not like you go from not hearing anything at all to maximum value volume. It's a scale from zero to a hundred. So if we're at my no, uh, no, here's the dial, Pete. Yo, you're listening to the pod, right? You turn it up on the Apple Watch with the dial. You oh, take that go. thing around, but maybe it's a little hot. But then your but then your your girlfriend wants to say something to you. Turn down a little bit. Right. Yeah, there you go. Apple Watch. We gotta. We Current. gotta. 
Man, they didn't even have to pay for that or nothing, man. I know. I know, Mike. You just came back keep, from a break. You did an Apple Watch. Mike, you can't give Apple it away, Watch man. Room. You can't give give it away. Hey. That It's a 15-second slot that I mean, you just gave up right there's now. There's only two Any, options there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Samsung Anyways. And whatever. I, but, I appreciate the dial analogy, though. But, yes. but, Mike, that's that's more of what it's about is – and that's why it's like the when to switch argument. And I know it, it can be a little bit cumbersome to, to – Talk, talk about this as much as we have. But I think that there have been a lot of games this season, Mike, where it's been like, oh, we've done this at, in the third quarter because we're down 15 at halftime. Like, all of a sudden we're back in the game. It's it's not a coincidence. One of the things that you said earlier, Pete, that I think is important here is dictating the terms. And, and you talked about it within the context of dictating the terms because, like, we know where we're weak. And so we mm-hmm. can adjust to that. For me, it's like dictating the terms is something – if I was a coach, dictating the terms is something I'd want to happen all of the time. And I yeah. think it's something that Vogel sees as well, right? Of course. And he's he's dictating the terms by going over on screens. He's dictating the terms mm-hmm. by playing in in a drop. I think the question is, is does that open you up for more failure in in specific matchups or mm-hmm. too often within the context of a basketball game and how how much of you dictating the terms is actually playing into the hands of what the opponent also likes and i think this is where i'm not saying the coaches are dumb or wrong or anything like will will like that and of course not and i like when lebron said about the indiana game where Carousel Vert took advantage of our scheme. He mm. was not being critical of Frank Vogel. He wasn't being like, we were doing the wrong thing. Why didn't we change it? He's LeBron James. If he wanted to go back to the go back to the coach and be like, hey, they're killing our drops. We need to change, change up. You know what Vogel probably would would have said? Hey, yeah, I see you see that too. What do you want to do? Let's let's figure it out on the fly. We've got 60 seconds here, right? Like Let's let's do some something different. No, LeBron was crediting the player. He was crediting the other team. They have coaches, too. They have talent, too. They beat the thing that we wanted to do. Every scheme gives up something. Yes. It's impossible to take away everything. And so if they're hitting the shots that your scheme gives up, that you credit the player and or you switch the scheme to take away the thing that they're doing now. And so when when the Cavs beat the Warriors in the finals... And the Cavs were running a bunch of LeBron Kyrie pick and rolls where Kyrie was screening for LeBron because they knew Golden State wanted to switch. And now and now LeBron is posting up Curry or he's posting up some someone else. And then LeBron scores. If he scores on a post up against Curry, LeBron wouldn't say like, oh, well, their scheme is stupid. Ha 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 ha. He would say. Right. Because that worked for the Warriors the whole time. They got to the finals. They won multiple championships doing that exact thing. Mm -hmm. He would be like, we took advantage of their scheme. That's not that like that's not detrimental. And and Vogel has had rosters the last couple of years where there wasn't really that guy on the court that teams wanted to go pick on too much. And guess what? This year there is and there still is. And they have to play guys that can be picked on. There, there are not enough players that can't be picked on. So there's just a lot of like there are a lot of things. I think every scheme that they're playing right now has a weak point. Of course, is is the and I, and I think that's been the but to to again be way, way more simple um, than all of this is. And as Pete alluded to earlier, 
if you do have the idealized version of this roster, then you got a lot more to work with. If LeBron and AD are actually both out there, and now Trevor Ariza coming in off the bench is actually like you can sort of get some production out of him on both sides of the court. And like just that right there. And then you sign Stanley Johnson. Okay. Now there's four pretty big versatile defenders. So I, I just, I think that's the overarching thing behind all of the scheme that, that Pete has been very adept at breaking down as always. And I'm not going to pretend like I could do it better, but that's uh that's the mix there that I'm still seeing. So it's certainly, of course, it's a personnel thing, but that's part of my adamance is, you know, going into it, what Russell Westbrook, for example, is good at and bad at. And one of the big reasons to me for the dial turn is that I think Russ is an asset in a switching scheme. Now, there is a certain degree of, and you guys have been alluding to this, you know, earlier in the pod, there's a certain degree of like, yo, you got to play hard and focus. Yeah. Like first, no matter what scheme that we're in. And that's something that you have to own and have a personal responsibility for. That's like, like blaming anybody else for that is not, that's just not how it works. But I would say that Coming into the season, one of the things that we knew about Russ defensively is that he will get lost off of the ball, that there's a degree of inattentiveness off of the ball that can be harmful. Now, so then it becomes a question of when does that matter? When is that important? And there are – Darius mentioned earlier, Mike, that idea of multiple links in the chain – Frank's defense in his scheme is fantastic. It just has a lot of links in the chain. And when you've got that defensive personnel that can do that, it's great. That game six, he called it a masterpiece in the middle of the game. Absolutely right. Best defense I think I've ever seen a team play for a half. But there are multiple points of failure when there are multiple links in the chain. Absolutely. And and here's so here's the last point I think that's important to try and understand about this when a coach is looking at a team Frank Vogel is still trying to figure out how to get this team to the finish line. Their goal is still to win a title. So yes. it's not so there's this balance between as there always is in sports, but like what what could I do today? You see this with the Warriors all the time. Like, well, why don't you just run screen roll all game with Steph Curry? And he's like, <laughs> uh-huh. "Well, I'm trying to build in this system that I think can actually sustain this team through a playoff run." And in some ways, they had to take a lot of L's last year. Our our good buddy Aaron Larsoul and I um, used to argue about this all the time last year with Steve Kerr and like what they should be doing now versus what their overall scheme is. And so I think like Frank is trying to keep just like he does with players. Mm-hmm. He's trying to keep as much stuff on the table as he mm-hmm. can so that they can get through the finish line because he knows they're going to need these multiple different looks. Mm-hmm. He knows they're going to need and it can't just be uh Switching, dropping, whatever. He's got to have zone, uh, which which is another thing. So that's, I think, the way that that he's he's got a whole like his wall is covered for the whole the whole calendar year as to how they get somewhere. Mm-hmm. And what's happened this year instead, mostly because of injuries um, and, and some other stuff, is that every day throughout the game plan, I got new starting lineup. How do I get this guy to buy into this scheme? Well, this guy doesn't play hard within this scheme. Like it's just been a lot of problems, uh, and and I think he's trying to keep as much stuff on the table, and that's where where I've had some uh, some sympathy in trying to build this while acknowledging still that some of these things have to have to be ironed out. 
I think I need to express more of my sympathy for Vogel than I have. It like he's been given bad defensive players. Now this this is on the defensive end of the floor. I think we should be better on offense than we are, and I think we're going to explore the offense a lot more going forward because uh, I think there's a lot of interesting you know stuff to get into there. But that all of those factors that you talked about, Mike, the the personnel and then the injuries and the way the season have gone, all the more reason to simplify. I would also like to have those multiple looks, D. But at this point considering the circumstances of the season. Like I've always thought we needed to turn this dial more toward that direction, but like we played DeAndre Jordan in the last game, right? Like we, it's time that we can have more 65 point first halves where, and then we get it back in the third quarter. That's right. That's right. And I think it's fair. It's fair to nitpick the things that we know don't, don't work. Right. Yeah. We know certain things don't work. We know DeAndre Jordan does not work. Right. Like I thought getting away from Trevor as quickly as they did was like actually surprising to Mm -hmm. me. Right. When he went from like Vogel talking about him as like, no, like we got to give him a chance to literally like two games later, he was out of the rotation completely. And there's space in between where we saw him in the last game where it's like, oh, he's off the bench. Yeah. Like the ninth guy. Like, oh, okay, And and he's looked better. And we talked about him the other day, too, where Trevor talking to Mike post game about like, yeah, I'm recovering from an injury. Like it's the first surgery that I've ever had. It's it's not the same for me right now. But we know certain things don't work. And so trying to go back to those and acting as if they will this time, that's a recipe. That's that's inviting failure. Right. I don't think playing a drop coverage every single time is inviting failure. No. However, I think what we're trying to navigate here as outside observers, because that's what we are. We are outside observers. What we're trying to figure out is where do you draw the line? Because it's not going to be. Right now, let's just say that it's 50-50. percent of the time we're playing drop coverages and 50% of the time that that we're switching. And there are times where dropping against a team is exactly the right call. Mm-hmm. And, and there we'll are explore ta- those yeah, times yes. going forward. Yeah. And there are times where switching against a specific team, that's exactly the wrong call. Yeah. Right? It depends on the other team. Yeah. And the, the players you have on the floor. And so I think what we're talking about is giving you and I at least, is giving a little bit more freedom to the units that can switch and letting them explore that opportunity more and moving the line a little bit and allowing some of those same failures as long as the commitment and the trying hard is there, right? And this is where this is where my overall frustrations with the roster some of it is like actual personnel and what are they good at and what are they not, right? And, and okay, how many of these guys can actually play in a playoff rotation? There's some of that frustration that, that I have. But some of the other frustration that I have is, all right, well, some of these guys, like you have two, maybe one or two, too, too many dudes who, in terms of their weaknesses column, one of them is lack of focus yeah and that's ultimately so i think our half court defense is i think we can get to be a fairly solid half court defense for 48 minutes if we have our guys right we need our personnel well they were 11th in defense in that first like third of the season or so so that's not off base 
for you yeah, to say that. And, and so, yeah, I think we can be that 11th to 15th caliber uh, team, and we need to get way better on offense, right, for that caliber of defense to be able to do anything. But I ultimately think that we can – our half-court defense in particular, the thing – the most like fatal flaw that I see in this team, like I watch them and go – you're never going to win playing like this is our transition defense. Yes. Our transition defense is trash consistently. There are all of these basic principles of transition defense that maybe we'll get into some other time, but it's stuff that they've been doing their whole lives of playing organized basketball. And there's just simple like stop the ball, communicate, right? Uh, Just a level of attentiveness that you can – Part of my adamance with switching is exactly that, is that that is the defense where that flaw is the least important, right? Like you will be burned for that flaw regardless of what defense you're playing in. But if your players kind of get lost off the ball, and we got multiple guys, Russ, Monk, THT, this is not a strength of his. Avery Bradley, we were talking about how laser focused he can get in. That means that off of the ball sometimes he can. Yeah, he is laser focused in terms of the ball. He is not listening. Right. <laughs> right. Which can be which can actually be a, a really bad thing when you're not on the ball, yes. right? When you're yes. defending someone off of the ball. Yes. And so he's prone to those mistakes. And so when you talk about that column of weaknesses, when you look at the roster and go, oh, this guy's bad at that. Oh, this guy's bad at that same thing. This guy's bad at that same thing. Oh. Uh, and so that to me though comes when you're looking at your players, and I do have that sympathy for we don't have good defensive personnel. Straight out, we don't have good defensive personnel aside from two like first team all defensive caliber players, which does provide you a certain floor of how yeah. bad you can be when they're healthy, and that that matters a lot. But I do have that that sympathy, right? But it's it's also when you look at them and you see that column of like, oh, these guys are all bad at this one thing. We should really calibrate the team away from having to make uh, attention reads and recognition reads as much much as possible. That won't save you in transition defense. It won't. There's nothing. There's nothing Vogel or anyone else can do about that. I think that's more amongst the players and like they really need to talk and LeBron and AD really need to. Uh, they really need to enforce transition defense in terms of like accountability and and things like that on the floor. Run, focus, get back, get below the level of the ball. All these things. Anyway, that that's where I come from on that d uh, that idea of like since you know this about. Your, this yeah. group of players, you need to bake it into the calculus. And I agree. My whole point in trying to like discuss the Lakers is always just trying to understand, right? Like, how much do I understand? Sure. Because if I understand, then at least I can try to explain it to, to someone else. It doesn't mean I agree. It doesn't mean I disagree, but it means yeah. I understand. And understanding is the first point of any sort of like thoughtful analysis. In my perspective, you can't arrive at truth if you don't understand in the first place. And so I've been trying to understand Vogel's position and it's why and the empathy and sympathy that I have for some of the decision making that these are clearly producing flawed results. But do I understand why? 100 percent. Right. And so I'm basically I've I've been there with Vogel. Like I understand and I have sympathy. I'm now at the point where it's just like, okay, as we've learned the team, you've now learned the team. You mostly know who these guys are and and who they aren't. I expect them to start switching more. I just do. What I and one of the reasons I think that is because at least 
and again, Carmelo Anthony is a pivot point here, but more of the guys who are on the roster now who are actually playing, they are capable of switching. Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Trevor Ariza, Stanley Johnson, um, Austin Reeves, right? Taylor and Horton Tucker. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and so Russell Westbrook. Yep. Right? So these guys can all play in in that scheme. So I think that I expect them to start switching more. What I want, but in order for that to happen, some of the decision making about where is the line drawn, where is the dial, right? You talked about the volume earlier. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, how loud can I turn this up? And my ears are still like, yeah, I can handle that. And it's right now, it's like a little bit too muffled. They, they need to turn it up a little bit more. You know what one of those notches says? One of them has the word monk over it, and the other one has the name mellow over it. Yes. And I think that Carmelo Anthony and Malik Monk are the two pivot points on that when do we switch, when do we not switch, that we will not do, you know, back-to-back switching philosophies episodes. But the next time we do address this topic, let's make sure that we really focus on mellow and Monk because they are the two weakest parts. The most credible arguments against switching are really focused on those two guys. Yes, and they are two important offensive players. They have to play. And so they're and so going to play. You yes. cannot remove them from the rotation right. and say we can we can be a credible offensive team without those guys. They matter too much. Right. And so they have to play. You have to account for them. And yes. in some ways you have to accommodate them. And what yes. those accommodations are is the through line between what defensive scheme is going to be best for 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 this team because they're going to be mistake prone in either scheme and how you account for them matters that's right and the next time we discuss this topic we're going to get into deeper into that rabbit hole of how do you account for monk and mellow in covering up for the disadvantages that they create on the defensive end milwaukee tonight big game against the last two champs uh, we will be back tomorrow to discuss it here on the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bad next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Brian, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Brian. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James. 
putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.